at youth on Friday night. Now, I, I talk all the time, like I, I do this, this is the thing that I do, but I was terrified going to, to youth group, can I just say? Not that they were scary or whatever, but it was just such a different kind of um, vibe. Yep, let's go with that. It has such a different vibe. And I was, um, like whenever I go into Meryn's classroom, Meryn's a teacher, I go into the classroom and it's very quickly, it's unruly and wild. And all Meryn has to do is just look or, or say class and, and they're back into order. But for me, that's not the experience. And so, you know, I was terrified. But I think I did all right, just so you know, in the, in the end. It came, it came together all right. But what I talked about at youth was about how it's so important for us that we actually have an accurate understanding of God. Because if I hold a a distorted or even a, a simply false view of God, then that's going to have serious implications for how I relate to him. So, for instance, if we understand God to be like the Force from, from Star Wars, well, then there's no actual thought of a relationship with him, is there? Because he's just this vague, impersonal power that's out in the universe, and all that we really want to do then is just we want to make use of him you know, as a power to achieve the goals in our own lives. And so it distorts how we understand God and so how we relate to him. Or if we think of God as like a, a police officer, we'll watch that we are always on our best behavior uh, for fear of being caught out and punished. You know, it's amazing how much better driver and how much more law-abiding drivers we become when we suddenly see a police car in the background. Or if we think, you know, God is, you know, like, like a boss, then we'll either work hard and, and, and just constantly be, be serving and doing and achieving, or, or we'll know in ourselves that we're failing to meet you know, those key performance indicators of daily Bible reading and of sharing our faith with someone at least once a week and of giving our 10% and, and all, all the stuff of that. We'll feel all the kind of guilt and pressure of failing to perform. But either way, it's not, it's not then actually a warm and open and trusting and intimate relationship with God. If we view him as a boss, it's much more of a taskmaster and a, and a servant. And so we looked at other common perceptions or misperceptions of God. But we always came back to then this idea that if we, if we relate to a false, distorted, inadequate, partial idea of God, then we're not actually relating to God. We're not relating to God as, as he is, to God as he's revealed himself. We're, we're relating to an idea of God that's not God. And so for, for us to know what God is really like, we need to look to Jesus. Jesus in whom the fullness of deity dwelt in, in bodily form. Jesus who is the exact and full representation of his being. When we know Jesus, who explicitly said, you know, if you know me, you know the Father. If we know Jesus, then we, we know who God is and we can relate to God as, as he is. And so this is so important for us to get right, for us to, to keep laying down our false, inadequate, distorted, slightly skewed or, or outright wrong ideas of God, to keep laying them down and instead to behold Jesus, to see and to know God as he truly is. But as we come to the series that we're starting today in, in Psalms, that's only half the equation. Because as David has said, we're, we're looking at the Psalms to see what intimacy with God looks like. 
And it definitely requires that we relate to the true God as he reveals himself in the scriptures, in Jesus and by the Spirit. But intimacy, whether it's with God, with a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a friend, whoever, intimacy requires a mutual knowing. It needs to go both ways. And so the footy season started again this week, which some of you could not care less about. Some of you, like me, are very excited, which I would not have said when I started in my role here. But it is the real footy. It's Australian rules. Like it's... Anyway, that's an Australian of you. Regardless of where you stand on footy, right? Like, let, let go of that and what code you follow. But imagine if I could tell you everything that there is to know about Dustin Martin or Paddy Dangerfield or Nat Fife or, or whoever. I could stand here and recount to you, you know, their careers. I could tell you where they were born, how old they are. I could tell you their stats for the past season. I could tell you even about their family. I could tell you anything and everything about them, which I actually can't because I don't care that much. But, <laughs> but let's pretend that I could. I could know all this stuff about them, but I don't have a relationship with them, do I? It's all one-sided. I mean, as I obsess about these guys, they're not at home scouring the internet for all that they can know about Matt Thorpe. <laughs> Even less so, are they picking up the phone to, to give me a call to, to hang out at a cafe and to take our families on holidays together. And it's in those things where there's mutuality, where, where it goes both ways, that's what makes a relationship intimate. And so yesterday, you know, I married one of our young adult couples, Macca Jones and Zoe Smith. And what happens in marriage is that two people equally and mutually commit to sharing their lives with one another so that the two become one. And that oneness, I mean, it's obviously expressed in the sexual act, but it's so much more than that. Genesis talks of, of Adam and Eve being naked before each other and neither of them felt any shame. So, so they were fully exposed, they were fully open, vulnerable, they were fully known by the other person. And it's not that one of them was naked and the other dressed and, you know, and that inequality, they were both in that state before them, before each other. And that's what a close, intimate relationship requires, knowing the other and being known yourself. So when we come back to this idea of having intimacy with God, we need to know him truly, which is what I talk to the, the young people about, so that we're relating to him as he truly is, not, as, not to some skewed perception of him. But the other side of that is that he needs to relate to us as we are. Now, that seems obvious to say, but how often or how well do we truly bring our real selves before God? Do we relate to him in the same way we use social media, where we then curate a certain perception of ourselves and we leave the hard and the dark stuff out of the picture? Or do we relate to him, how we do, I dare say this, how we do to other people at church with the mask of, of happy Christian firmly in place? Do we relate to God like, like we're actually who we think that he wants us to be, you know, where we're always trusting, always joyful, without any struggle, any wrestle, any doubt or, or disillusionment? What do we bring or reveal of ourselves as we relate to God? Is he actually relating to the real us, 
in all of our sin and struggle and self-centeredness, as well as in our dependence and need and faith? Is he relating to the real us in all of our desiring to be like Jesus and yet still falling so far short and grieving that? Or maybe being even, even indifferent about that? Is he relating to the real us in all of our belief and our unbelief at the same time, in all of our questions and our shouts and our trust and our perseverance? Is he relating to the real us? Is he relating to the me that I really am? Or is he relating to a mask that I'm wearing? I'll be holding up a fig leaf like Adam and Eve ended up doing so, thinking that that'll fool him and that if he relates to that, that leaf, that he's really relating to us. Because if, we, if what we offer to God in our relationship with him is a mask, an, an image, a fig leaf version of ourselves, then in the same way that we cannot relate to the real God as he is, he can't relate to the real us as we are. And so again, there's, there's no intimacy it's a fake intimacy, but God wants more than fake intimacy. He wants what's real. He, he, wants, he wants the fully naked us where, where there's no hiding and no holding back. He wants to relate to us as we are, not to the fig leaves or to the masks that we try to pretend to him instead. And that's then exactly where the Psalms come in. And David already said this. In the Psalms, we see the brutally honest cries of the people of God. They are cries that are full of faith and full of questions. They are full of peace and contentment, as well as full of anger and rage and confusion. They are cries that are full of joy and full of sorrow. The, the psalmists don't hold back. These are not polite and carefully curated prayers in the book of Psalms. These are real, raw, honest, naming all of the realities of life as they're felt and experienced and lived under God. So as we look at, as we look at the Psalms, we are invited to do as they do and to move beyond a polite relationship with God, a sanitized relationship with God, a relationship that has lots of false intimacy and instead to come before the true God as he has revealed himself to us and to bring before him our true self holding nothing back from him and as we each then come together in this honest and true way it's then that we experience the intimacy with God that he so desires for us and that we long for as well and so that's where we're headed over the next few months. The book of Psalms, if you're aware, is 150 chapters long, so we will be here in three years' time, still going through them. No, no, we're not going to look at all of them, which you can breathe a sigh of relief about. We're going to look at 12, though. And the intent is that as we do so, that as we see and experience the honesty of the Psalms, that we will be encouraged and invited into a more real and hence a more intimate, a more close relationship with God, our Saviour and our King. So let's dive in then. And our place that we're starting is Psalm 1. Now this psalm sits in the book as, as kind of a, an introduction or a preface to the rest of what follows. And this psalm is actually much more in the category of wisdom, if you like. It would, it would fit very naturally in the book of Proverbs if, if we were to find it there. Um, so we won't get into some of, some of the, that rawness that will come with other Psalms today. But this one actually sets us up for our focus on having intimacy with God 
So let's have a read of it together. And if you've got it uh, yet there open, let's read along. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, as a, as a wisdom psalm, what the writer here does for us is, is he lays out for us two paths, two ways for us to live. We could live the way of the wicked that leads to destruction or the way of the righteous that leads to life. And there's much that we could consider in this, not least to take stock as you sit there today of where your own life is and, and to consider what path are you actually really walking along. But under the banner that we are looking at these psalms, or this banner of intimacy with God, what I want us to do today is look particularly, um, particularly at verses 2 and 3, but, but just that first section. Because the psalm starts by declaring blessed, or, or another word could be happy, is the one. And the truth is, well, we all want to be happy, don't we? So, so then the psalmist goes on to, how, to outline how we experience that happy life. And the first thing that he says you know, negatively is that we experience it by avoiding evil. We don't walk in it. We don't stand in it. We don't sit in it. We, we don't become more and more comfortable with and committed to and settled in the way of sin and sinners. And as a side note, so just, we'll just park that for a sec. As a side note, this is important to stress at the outset of the book of Psalms. Because one of the complaints that comes up within the, within the Psalms is about how the wicked seem to prosper and how God just lets them. They're doing all this wicked, sinful stuff and they're getting away with it. They're, they're not getting smote or smited or anything. And, and while then the, the righteous suffer. And so right at the beginning of the book, this Psalm asserts that regardless of how it actually looks, regardless of how it seems in our perception, that the way of the wicked is actually not the path to happiness and blessing and that they will get what's coming to them because, of their, because their way leads to destruction. And so there's then that, that hope and that, that knowledge that we hold on to then. So happy is the one who negatively avoids evil. But then positively, the blessed one is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the law here, if you've been in church for a while and, and, and whatever, you, you default to thinking law, I mean, that's Old Testament, that's Ten Commandments, that's the first five books of the Bible, that's, that's all that Jewish stuff that is now no longer relevant for us anymore. But it's a, here it's actually referring to more of a, a general reference to the instruction or the teaching of God, what he has revealed of his will and his ways to his people. And, and all of that is found in his word. It's in and through God's word that God reveals himself to us. So Jesus, when, when someone in the crowd declared you know, his mother blessed for bearing him, Jesus replied to say, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God 
and who obey it. And he's echoing the psalmist here. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law or in the word of the Lord. Now, why, why are they so blessed? Well, listen to Psalm 19, which was written by King David. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect and it refreshes the soul. The statutes, statutes of the Lord are trustworthy and they make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and they give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. You sense the delight, don't you, that David has here in the words of God, that they refresh, they make wise, they bring joy, they provide light, they endure, they, they're more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. And, and so the psalmist says, delighting in God's word makes one blessed. Why or, or how? Because they, they reveal God to us, his people. And so the happy person delights in God's word as evidenced by the fact that then they meditate on this word day and night. And the word to meditate is literally to, to mutter. Now remember, this was written in a time when people on the whole were probably illiterate and they def definitely didn't have you know, scrolls of the Bible in their personal homes. And so uh, having heard the word of God in some kind of gathering like this, they, they would mutter it to themselves, kind of keeping it fresh before their, you know, in their mind and, on, and their lips, mutter it, memorizing it, chewing it over, pondering it, and, and literally then talking about it with one another. It's like the instruction that God gives to Joshua to keep this book of the law always on your lips, muttering away on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You'll be blessed. Blessed is the one who delights in and meditates on God's words. Why? Well, the explicit teaching here is that because if we know God's words, then we can live them. We can live in God's goodwill for us. But actually, implicitly, kind of behind and before living out God's words is actually knowing the God that they reveal. God's words are how we know him. So if we're talking about having intimacy with God, as revealed by the Psalms, the first Psalm tells us that we need to delight in hearing God's words to us. We need to delight in God's word. I read again recently that statistically, the number one factor in people's growth in faith and in following after Jesus is the regular ongoing intake of God's word. Yes, serving in a ministry, going on a mission trip, being part of a small group, regularly attending church, being involved in prayer meetings, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, that's significant and it absolutely plays its role. But the thing that has the most impact is delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on his law day and night. Why is this? Well, why is it that this has so much impact? It's because... It's God's direct word to us. God's word is a living word. And by his spirit, he takes it and he enlivens and applies it to us, his people. 
But even more than that, it's in and through God's word that we get to know God. It's in his word that God shows us what he's like. It's in his word that God tells us what he thinks and what he desires. It's in his word that we see God take action. It's in his word that we learn what's important to him. It's in his word that God speaks to us. So if we want intimacy with God, then we need to, know, uh, need to read and to know his word. Not as an academic exercise, not as a religious duty, but because through his word, we hear his voice, we see his deeds, we, we know his character. In his word, God speaks. And if we want intimacy with him, then, then we need to delight in his words. So the question that I think is entirely legitimate to ask at this point is do you delight in God's word? Do you drink regularly and consistently from this nourishing well of water? At the start of this year, I decided that I would read the scriptures daily on my phone. I'd be, I figured I'd be on my phone anyway. So let's just take, let's just make it purposeful. Instead of just, you know, looking at the news feed, doing the Facebook scroll, let's add my Bible reading into it. That way, you know, I'm already on there, I'll get it done, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I had this realization a couple of weeks ago uh, that I've talked about with Roderick. A phone fundamentally is designed to distract you. And, and to keep you just moving from one thing to another. You finish with Facebook, so you jump to Instagram. You finish with that, you jump back to Facebook. Because something might have changed in the 30 seconds since you were there. And, and, and you, just, you just keep jumping and being distracted and moving from one thing to another. And so do you, do you have those days where, where you get to the end of the day, or maybe it's midway through the day, and you go, did I have breakfast this morning? That's what doing my Bible reading on my phone was like. Yes, I was doing it. And sure, it was better than nothing. And, and, and I'm not just putting it out there. I'm not putting judgment on anyone who reads their Bible on their phone. That's, that's fine. You know. But I'm just telling you my experience. So yes, I was doing it. But it was entirely forgettable. Because I just got subsumed in the rest of my distracted, forgettable phone scrolling. That's not delighting in God's word. This is not fostering intimacy with him by listening to what he's, he's speaking to me. So I've made a change in my practice. For the last couple of weeks, I get up when my alarm goes earlier than I like, but I just get up, I roll with that, and I hold off on my phone scrolling while I make myself a cup of tea, and then I, I light a candle, which is a new hippy-dippy thing for me to do, but... But I'm doing it intentionally because lighting that candle reminds me that Jesus is the light of the world and that he is present with me as I open his word and that I then need his light to illuminate his word to me. And then I open a physical Bible and I slowly read and I underline and I circle and I make notes in the margin and I reflect and I pray. I'm loving it. I'm delighting in it. Do I need to do it in that way in order to delight in God's word? No, not at all. But that's, that's what's helping me at the moment. And it's planting me by streams of water, 
Because this is what the psalmist says of the person who delights in God's word. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree which then yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I always picture this as like this big giant tree, you know, overhanging a flowing river. Like, like if you go down to Norial Park and, 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 and River Deck there, you know, those kind of trees that are out over the, over the river or, or any of the rivers around this place um, and seeing that. But in fact, though, this is actually talking about a tree that's intentionally planted in the midst of multiple canals of, of irrigation, ensuring then that it's constantly and reliably nourished and sustained you know, from multiple sources, whatever happens seasonally. And so as a result, this tree that's being regularly irrigated, it survives the long, hot, dry season. And more than survive, it, it yields its fruit in season and it's got this foliage that remains lush and green. Delighting in hearing God speak to us, in being in regular, ongoing relationship with him as, as he talks to us through his word, it, it nourishes us and it sustains us, even when the environment around us is hot and dry and hostile. It enables us to endure, to come through that season and to do so, not, not all withered up and dried up and, and, and shrunken, but to do so still bearing fruit. Fruit then that nourishes others. I mean, the tree doesn't eat the fruit. It, it, it's for the good of other people. The season is still hot and hard. There's no denying that. But such a tree is able to avoid it because it's being const constantly nourished by the irrigation, the, the streams that it's planted by. And this tree then, this lush, green, fruit-bearing tree, is in contrast to the wicked who have no interest in God's words and therefore no interest in a relationship with him. And they then are like chaff from the wheat that's dead and dry and worthless. So a planted tree vibrant with life or dead chaff that blows away in, in the breeze. And the difference between the two pictures here in the Psalms is the attitude to the word of God. Let me ask the question again. Do you delight in God's word? Do you drink regularly and consistently from this nourishing well of water? And actually, there's a question that comes before those ones. If we step back a bit, and that question is this. Do you desire intimacy with God? Because the starting place for us having an intimate relationship with God, for the starting place for us cultivating, growing intimacy and closeness with Him is that we would be in His Word, which is the way that He primarily speaks to us and reveals Himself to us that we would know Him. So I want to make a suggestion to you. Uh, monks have this practice of reading, you know, in their, in their cycle and the rhythm of their day, they read through five psalms a day. And so every month they read through the whole book of psalms. And now, that might be a bit ambitious for us. Um, we have lives. Um, that was a bit judgmental. That was terrible. Because I actually do really value the faithfulness of prayer. And I don't have to dig myself out of the hole, but I, I will, uh, that, that monks engage in. But anyway. 
it might be a bit ambitious for us to read through five psalms a day, especially like when you get towards Psalm 119. Like that, that's, that's multiple days in and of itself there. But we've got 12 weeks in the psalms. Plus, you know, there's a couple of extra weeks thrown in because Easter's in there and Anzac Day and such. So, so can I make a suggestion to us? Would you consider reading with me two psalms a day while we work through this series? And if we do that, then we'll get through the whole book and a bit extra. And if you miss a couple of days along the way, it's okay because there's buffer built in. So, so two, psalms, two psalms a day while we're in this series. And to read them... Not out of duty, because Matt told you to, but, but out of delight. To read them not, not as a task to do, but to read them as a means of deepening your relationship with God and to read them not to study and to analyse and to cross-reference, but, but to seek to emulate the honesty and the intimacy that is expressed in them in our own lives and in our own relationship with God. So that's my suggestion for us, that over the next 12-ish weeks, two psalms a day. And maybe you're not a reader. I recognize that. Not everyone reads. Um, listen to them. You know, if, if you're like me, anything I listen to, I, I speed up to at least one and a half times because often they speak so slowly. <laughs> and so there's absolutely room to speed they, those things up. But I want to say then, keep it at that one time speed so you can soak it up. I mean, you, you've tried to water a plant, right, with the, the squirter hose, and you, you release it, and it just and, and I don't think that's very effective, but when you just dripple, uh, dripple, trickle, a drip, either one, on the tree, just progressively, slowly, then, then it's got the capacity to soak it up. So keep it, if you're a listener, Keep it at one time speed, despite how much everything in you just wants to speed this thing up so that you can really soak it up as you listen. And I want to say, too, be creative. For instance, there are, there are musicians and groups who have worked to put the Psalms to music. Groups like Sons of Korah or Poor Bishop Hooper or, or Shane and Shane. Add them into the mix so, so the word stays fresh and especially to help you with that idea of keeping it in your mind and for, for your meditation, for your muttering over. So however you need to do it, let's pursue intimacy with God by cultivating delight in his word. And if we do this together, if collectively you know, we embark on this project, then when we gather on a Sunday or when we see each other during the week, we can mutter with one another about, about the Psalms and further cultivate, cultivate our intimacy with God as a community, not just as individuals. And, and look, maybe, let's be honest, as the Psalms invite us to, maybe you find yourself just sitting there going resistant to this idea, nah, I'm not going to do that. Because, to be honest, you're disillusioned with God at the moment. And you are not super interested in reading his words because it's like, what, what, what's even the meaning and significance of that for me at this point in my life? Maybe you're resistant to it. Maybe you have more questions than certainty. Maybe you have more doubts than, than faith. And so this, this thought of reading God's words like, no, you rebel against it. And I get that. But I want to say, so do the psalmists. 
And so I want to say, if you engage with the Psalms, like if that is you and you engage with the Psalms, you might find more understanding and compassion than you expect by journeying through this book. These ancient songs may express your heart and your struggle better than you realize. Because here's a mind-boggling thing too about the Psalms. The Psalms are the cries of God's people to God. But they're also God's words spoken to his people. We, we find in the very nature of the book of Psalms that our desire for a relationship with God is met with his even greater desire for a relationship with us. He speaks to us through them as we speak our experience to him. So there, there's this mutuality going on. God speaks to us and we speak his words back to him as the expression of our own heart. He moves towards us, we move towards him and that's where the relationship comes. And God's desire to know us and to relate to us and to be intimate with us is even greater than ours is for him. And so maybe you don't have that desire at the moment. Still jump into the Psalms because as you do so, God is there speaking to you and inviting you back to himself and into that relationship with him that he has made possible for all of us through Jesus. So, church, let's come to him now. Let's come in prayer and express our desire to know him more and that he would work through the Psalms uh, to help us bring our real selves to him. And as we do so, as we, in his words, that we would meet the real him and just grow knowing him more and more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this book of the Psalms in the Bible that lets us know we don't need a polite relationship with you. We can bring before you all the real, honest, raw, difficulties, challenges and struggles, as well as the exuberant joys and delights and celebrations of our lives. You want all of it because you want all of us. You want us, as Adam and Eve were, to be naked, open, vulnerable, all of us known by you with nothing hidden away. And so help us, God, to move into that intimacy with, with you. I pray specifically that as we work through the Psalms on a Sunday in our, in our teaching, in our own reading, if, we, if we're jumping on board with, with two a day, that as we, as we do that, as we read your words and let them shape our words back to you, that we will be met with your, your presence, your love, your desire for us. And that our walk with you and our trust in you and our closeness to you, while yet there might still be the questions and struggles, yet we'll grow closer to you because we're being nourished and sustained by the water of your word. May we then be like that tree planted by those multiple streams of water that is just soaking up your word as we delight in it being able to then still bear fruit that blesses others despite the circumstances we go through with a leaf that is still green and lush and vibrant as we walk with you in and through all things that we experience. And in all this, 
We thank you for Jesus, who even just makes it all possible for us to know you in the first place. As he reveals you to us and as he has done everything possible through his death on the cross for our, on our behalf to restore us to you. So that we who were once enemies and far away can now be called friends and family and call you Abba, Father. And so we thank you for Jesus. And we express our, our desire just to know you more. We express our, our longing for you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.